story is provisionally titled The Grand Dragon Hotel by me, Izzy. Welcome to the start of another beautiful evening at the Grand Dragon Hotel, where our saltwater fountains never let your scales dry. Your new guest? Wonderful! Allow the inimitable concierge to check you in and provide your party's room keys. All guests may cross this threshold with the confidence that they and all that they bring with them will be well looked after by our staff. Due to the hotel's singular nature, being a building that once was a dragon and a dragon that is now a building, we ask that you please abide by the posted rules and leave any specified items you may be carrying with the coat check. As often happens when buildings and dragons age, they develop particular temperaments. And our venerable dragon is no exception, be it a hotel of scale and bone and sinew, or a dragon of glass, stone, and mattresses. Rest assured, your belongings, be they toiletries, ancient weapons, or items of a rarefied and lightly cursed nature, will be safe in the coat check. Footnote 1. Note, I say lightly cursed. We are no longer accepting major curses, hexes, or enchantments. Our vault is currently at its limit. The dragon protects everything within the hotel with their magic. Good. Now that you're checked in, allow me to give you a tour. We'll start with the lounge. One of our finest singers is performing tonight. Take note as we cross the lobby of the exquisite Tiffany sconces lining the walls as their golden light shines down upon, yes, you guessed correctly, authentic Italian marble. The cold, creamy stone is flecked with crystals of goldenrod and covered with thick, richly colored carpets. Beyond an arched doorway carved to resemble gleaming golden scales, soft music plays in the lounge where people gather around sleek, dark oak tables or nurse drinks in plush, velvet upholstered booths. Right this way, dear guest, and we can enter. Oh, what is that little fellow? A runaway bobble, perhaps. Please be sure to step around the golden caterpillar. It must be an escaped earring or magical pendant whose owner didn't secure it properly before donning it. A golden caterpillar with black markings lifts its head nervously as its tiny black feet tip-tap on the marble floor, weaving hurriedly in between hulking luggage and squashing shoes and paws. A rock troll nearly flattens it, laying her massive umbrella down to straighten her shirt collar. At that, the caterpillar makes a beeline for the wall's baseboard, molding at the edge of the lobby to hug the protruding carvings painted in gold leaf in relative safety. Just as the caterpillar is feet away from the wall, a sky-blue Converse sneaker steps down, blocking its path. In the air above its frantically quivering antennae, a soft voice speaks. Well, hello, little guy. Are you looking for your owner? A slight brown hand lowers itself flat to the floor, offering to the caterpillar. Hop on if you want, and I can help you find them. I've got a knack for finding things. The caterpillar hesitates, its antennae drooping and feet tippity-tapping in uncertainty. The owner of the hand matches the tapping pattern with their fingers, and the caterpillar lifts its head as if in surprise before darting from the cool marble floor into the warm pink palm and curling up in a gold and black coil. Finally, the hand lifts up to the face of a teenage girl with green glasses, framed by curly black hair pulled back into twin puffballs. She squints at the golden segmented insect, 
and lets out a small huff. I can't see your owner's mark, so I'm afraid I'll have to try something a little more personal, if you don't mind. If you give me a second to sense your energy, I should be able to make a psychic link to see who your owner is. Would that be okay? Thoroughly exhausted by its brief escapade, the little creature merely nods its head, and the girl closes her eyes. After a couple of breaths, she reopens them and her usually liquid brown irises glint a hard silver before returning to their natural hue. I see now, so your owner is down here, the girl affirms. Turning slowly in a circle and waving the fingers of her free hand in the direction of the crowd milling about the lobby. If I'm sensing this right, she should be right about there. A few paces away from the teen and the bug, a dark-clothed form emerges from the scaled lounge entrance, gliding like a thundercloud through the melee of bickering werewolf and alicanto families, a pair of hobgoblin bellboys struggling with an overloaded luggage cart, and a small family of giants conservatively taking up a quarter of the flabby floor space. Her knife-like glance immediately locks onto the golden trinket already shivering in anticipation in the teenage girl's hand. With a flourish of her long black coat, the young woman marches directly towards the pair, and the wobbling finger pointed her way. I believe you have something that belongs to me, she says, raising a dark eyebrow as she holds her right hand out, cupping her pale palm under the darker hand still extended with the caterpillar curled up tightly in the center. Oh, yes, is this little guy yours? The girl asks curling her fingers into her palm at the proximity of the other's hand. Yes, is the curt reply. Then, addressing the caterpillar, Come on, that's enough out of you. We're going to miss the performance. I've got to get back to the lounge before my father notices his coat is missing. Warily, the caterpillar raises its head in a silent question the young woman, or rather teenager, not much older than her, the other teen realizes on closer inspection, seems to understand. Don't worry so much, yes, we can leave whenever you want, after the performance. Content with her answer, the caterpillar crawls into the waiting hand of the other girl. She opens the catch on the glass-fronted gold locket with her left hand and deposits the creature inside, where it coils into place. A striking gold and black pendant contrasting with the wine-colored button-up she wears. Glancing back up at the other girl, the older teen smiles, and a hint of two white fangs peek from between lips the shade of dried blood. Thank you for finding him. It's no problem, it was my pleasure, stammers the human. Her brown cheeks pinking like the hint of sunrise in the desert, as her gaze flicks to and away from the stranger. Taking a deep breath, she continues in a firmer voice with a tinge of longing. Is the performance you're talking about by Nova in Vernizzi? It is, the vampire replies, a mischievous smirk turning up the corner of her mouth. Would you like to go? As would we. Chop, chop, folks. Let's not be late for our first stop on the tour. No matter where I roam, my heart I left with you, my home. The notes of the song hang in the air, the singer's voice deepening as she leans back against the grand piano for the final chorus. Two pairs of eyes in the back row glimmer with swelling emotions, and the tour group off to the side listens intently. As her show comes to a close, two young women are first to their feet, applauding with gusto, 
and the one wearing a gold necklace puts her fingers to her lips to whistle. Smiling widely, the singer sweeps her green flowing gown over one arm and gives a slight curtsy before making her way around the piano. Suddenly, she lets out a small yelp as her heel slips on a loose white fragment caught under the piano wheel, but quickly rights herself and grins sheepishly at the audience as she retreats. Pressing forward, the taller girl tugs her companion by the arm up to the front by the piano, her long, dark hair shining in the muted lounge lighting, while the two buns of the following girl bob along behind her. What in Ivan's name was that? Did you see how she tripped? exclaims the vampire, kneeling down to inspect the detritus trapped under the rubber wheel. I think it's just a plastic bag, murmurs the human, bending down and reaching out her hand to touch the bag. Let me see. She jiggles the bag in her grasp, closing her eyes, and a logo can be seen among the folds. Elegant script between a pair of dragon wings, gold on white. With an exhale, she opens her eyes and they become rounder as she speaks with growing incredulity in her voice. This bag is definitely from the hotel, for one, that's the hotel logo. And for another, this bag is simply steeped in the great dragon's magic, almost as if it were a part of them somehow, like literally a piece of the dragon's body. What? But how? The dragon hasn't majorly changed their physical form in centuries. And what's this bag supposed to mean, then? Why would they put so much of their magic in a plastic bag when they already are the entire hotel? I'm not sure, the teen holding the bag size, working the plastic material between her fingers, wrapping and unwrapping it with a furrow between her brow. But the energy signature is clear, this bag has to be part of the dragon, and even though no major changes have taken place in the hotel in a long time, little things are always popping up and disappearing, like that waste basket at the end of the hall on floor 13. It's gotten bigger and bigger every time my family has visited since I was a child, and now it's a vending machine. Maybe this could be one of the more expendable parts of the dragon? Like one of its old scales? Okay, the other teen replies slowly, cocking an eyebrow in disbelief. But if the dragon was shedding scales, wouldn't that be something somebody would have noticed by now? Or if this is new, why are they shedding now? Do dragons shed? I really don't know, the crouching human starts. But if I had to guess, it could mean the dragon isn't doing so well. Losing scales like this can't be healthy for them. These bags have a lot of the dragon's magical essence stored in them. If they could reabsorb it, that might help reverse the damage, but I'm just not sure. All right then, interrupts the vampire, lifting the piano with one hand and snatching the plastic bag from under the wheel. So if we give these scale bags back to the dragon, then they'll get better. Do you think there are many more around here? Just as the bespectacled human is about to reply, another voice calls from a table across the room, and her companion stiffens. Rodica, is that my coat? Bring it to me, you know you're not supposed to be in here. Rodica's shoulders slump as she slips off the floor-length black coat and reluctantly walks from the piano over to a pale man with matching dark hair and fierce eyes swirling a dark red liquid at a table. They exchange a few words and Rodica disdainfully drapes the coat over the back of the chair beside the man, 
turning up her nose at the man's stern look and the amused expressions from those seated at the table, and turns to go. After a few steps, the man shouts after her, I mean it, go back to playing with the other kid, I mean young adults, this place isn't for you. Satisfied at having fulfilled his parental duties, he turns back to regaling his assorted companions, including a Nixie, a venerable Kappa sage, and some old vampire chums about his 18th century misadventures after a night spent drinking the town. What was I saying? Oh yes, the Marie Antoinette 1785. Now that was a vintage with a full body. Huffing angrily, Rodica stalks out of the lounge into the brightly lit lobby, and the other girl scampers behind her, having lost her supposed adult chaperone, allowing her to be in the lounge. That's right, folks, the lounge is an adults-only area. No children are permitted without an adult escorting them. What a lovely performance. Now on with the tour. Everyone, file out to the lobby and take a right towards the elevators. At least we made it through the performance, the human tries, adjusting her glasses with fidgety fingers. Rodica stays silent for another moment, her expression stormy before remembering the plastic bag clutched in her hand. Lifting it, her face clears and she speaks. I think I remember seeing more of these by the pool, actually. I didn't think much of it, but if these bags really are as important to the dragon as you say they are, It'd probably be best if we collected them to give them back. What did you say your name was again? Actually, I didn't say. It's Sylvina, she says. And considering the amount of magical power in just one of these bags, yes, it's very important that someone, that we, gather them for the dragon. Otherwise... There will be no otherwise, Sylvina. Right, Caterpillar? Rodica asks, patting the locket on her chest. We'll get all these bag-scale things, and the dragon will be as frisky as a 300-year-old. Yeah, that could be. Then it's agreed. Let the hunt begin. For the next stop on our tour, we have an array of bathing pools to meet all your bathing needs. Our pools include fresh and salt water, as well as a wading pool for the young ones. Take a dip in the boiling dragon-heated caldarium or in the frigidarium measuring at a brisk negative 10 degrees Celsius, with an ice pick provided to break the ice. Be sure to walk carefully on the blue and white painted tiles. A passel of toddling naiads are at war, throwing kelp from the mermaid pool at each other and daring the losers to jump over the caldarium, while their mothers sun themselves and wonder if they should conjure up a non-existent father to foist the hellions on. Footnote 2 Naiad reproduction is very simple, really. A naiad thinks of wanting a child, blows a glistening bubble, and the infant appears. Two pairs of shod feet smack on the tiled poolside, echoing sharply amongst the soft, wet sounds of sandals, towels, and kelp squelching in a small naiad boy's face. Look over there, I see it, comes a rough female voice, youth and vigor propelling its owner to stride faster than caution would allow. The patter of footsteps following her quickens its pace in a rush to stay at her side when a sudden squelching whoosh is quickly followed by a high-pitched squawk. Rodica! Sylvina cries out, flailing on the brink of falling into the corner of the small pool claimed by a pair of male and female rusalka when an arm shoots out in front of her. 
colliding with the unbending arm, crushes the wind from her like hitting an iron rail, and Sylvina blinks back tears as the Rusalki observe, with mild sneers of interest and vague disappointment at the abrupt end to the show. Are you all right? Y yes Rodica turns away to give the human a moment to collect herself, and eyes the lounge chair on the far side of the pool with three plastic bags caught between the straps marked with the signature golden emblem. When the other girl's hand-shaking flows from a rapid flicking and flapping, and her wrists slacken and turn in looser circles, Rodica moves on and picks the bags out from beneath the chair, raising them above her head with a fanged smile that could melt gold or other harder metals. Ha! That makes six for me and only four for you. Anyhow, moving on with the tour. This floor is our fitness area, equipped with state-of-the-art equipment designed to meet the needs of a diverse clientele. Spread out in the room are rows of weight machines, ropes, treadmills designed for two legs or more, and barbells ranging in size from a bright purple set perfect for a fitness-seeking Thumbelina, two sets of steel and bronze with shafts as thick as tree trunks, and weights as large as boulders. A steady thrum of machinery and grunts of exertion provide background noise for the tour group walking through the area. At the far end, near a pack of muscly wyverns, a puff of smoke and sparks jet out of the furnace used to heat iron bars for the more heat-tolerant guests, to exercise themselves bending the red-hot metal. Footnote 3. This area is a favorite among cyclops, certain fire-breathing dragons, and the occasional wyvern. A series of bum-bum-booms can be distantly heard following the sparks. Oh dear, something must be amiss in the boiler room downstairs. I'll call down to the front desk to have them check it out. The fire exit door nearest to the furnace bursts open, and a figure emerges like a bat out of hell, carrying a slumped person in their arms. The figure rushes past the tour group, twisting with the grace between exercisers and equipment, despite the burden of toting an apparently unconscious teenage girl. Her glasses askew, but the eyes beneath them closed and calm. So that was a terrible idea, the vampire mutters under her breath extricating herself and her human parcel from the crowded gym, pushing the door open with her shoulder, and turning smoothly in the direction of the lobby. A pregnant pause as curiosity permeates the air. Ah, uh, perhaps we should head back to the lobby, everyone. At the front desk, the concierge is just placing a sign by the bell that reads, Out for a Midnight Snack and flowing cursive when Rodica lays Sylvina down gently on one of the cream-and-gold-striped couches that are scattered around the hall. The dragon glances up at the unusual pair, his eyes widening minutely behind his round rose-gold glasses which match his light rose-gold scales. His lips curl in the hint of a smile, revealing tiny, sharp teeth, and a pleased puff of smoke floats from his short snout adjusting the collar of his painstakingly pressed uniform and pulling down his shirt over the small paunch revealed beneath, scaled in a milkier rose gold. The dragon approaches the concerned vampire, hovering like an anxious storm cloud above her prone companion. The tic-tac of his talons alerts her to his approach, her keen senses picking up the minuscule sound across the mostly deserted lobby. She eyes him questioningly, 
as the dragon sidles up to the couch. He lays an arm atop the couch's armrest, his shoulder just clearing the armrest in height, and gazes down at the peaceful face of the sleeping girl with her head pillowed by her buoyant bunned hair and a sunflower gold pillow. Well, Rodeker urges impatiently, is she all right? We were down in the boiler room when she passed out like a light blinking out. She's asleep, the concierge replies. You forget humans need much more rest at nighttime than you do, and I've seen the two of you running around hither and thither for hours now. Crossing his arms over his small, smartly buttoned chest and raising a scaled eyebrow, he directs a piercing gaze at the young vampire. Do I want to know why you're in the boiler room? Rodica flushes, as much as a vampire can flush, all the blood for her last meal gathering in her cheeks and pinking the tips of her ears. Running a finger on the mahogany frame of the couch back, she hedges, It's kind of a long story. It's a good thing I'm on my break, then, is the immediate reply, as the concierge continues to look at her expectantly. Okay, the young woman relents, sighing. First off, this was mostly my idea. I mean, the bag collecting was partly Sylvie's too, not just me, but the boiler room part of it was all mine, she babbles. But Sylvie was certain the bags are a part of the dragon, so how could we not gather them for the dragon? And then, we had so many, I thought we should put them someplace out of the way, where nobody would find them by accident. The boiler room made sense at first. She trails off in her story as she watches the little dragon in front of her slowly shake his head. Trying to justify herself and fiddling nervously with her luminous locket, she picks up the thread of her tail again and presses on. Anyways, when we got down to the basement, the boiler room was easy to spot with the furnace light coming from it. We went straight there past the laundry rooms, and at first I thought all the grumbling and thumping was just the laundry machines. Sylvie wanted to turn back, but I kept telling her it was just some dirty shoes banging in the washing machine. But it was actually this huge red monster, I mean dragon, or cousin of a dragon maybe? Rodica fumbles again as the concierge lifts an eyebrow and hums, unruffled. Hmm, you could say he is. A distant branch doesn't get invited to many family functions. I'm sure you got a taste of his sort of manners. One delicate, disdainful sniff. Then his gaze pierces the vampire, awaiting the rest of her tale. Right, we did. After some huffing and puffing, I might have thrown one of the smaller boilers at him. He sliced through it faster than my dad slices open a blood sausage. That's when we decided to run. But when we stopped, Sylvie opened her mouth like she was going to yell and flopped over like a sack of potatoes. Footnote 4. It was actually the beginning of a yawn whose size would have rivaled the great blue-beaked shrieking sparrow. I don't know much about human physiology, and she didn't look hurt, so I grabbed all the scale bags we had and stuffed them away and brought her back here. I didn't know what else to do. She said the bags were important to the dragon, so I couldn't just leave them out. She was right. Those scale bags represent newly corporeal pieces of the dragon. The hotel's equivalent of shed scales, if you want to think of it like that. 
As part of the dragon's main corporeal form, they contain a purer form of their magical essence. Although everything inside of this hotel is a part of the dragon in one way or another, not all of it contains magic that is so potent. Take this lampshade, for instance, says the concierge, pointing a manicured claw at the rosy glowing lamp at the end table. This lamp won't last more than three weeks before it inevitably gets smashed by a guest-sweeping tail or crushed by an unwary tree-trunk arm. The dragon replaces lamps like this one so often, they hold only the tiniest flicker of their magic within them. Following that logic, these plastic bags should be among the weakest of the dragon's gleanings. But as I'm sure your companion is aware, that is very much not the case. Do you know why this could be happening? Rodica presses eagerly. Pursing his lips, the concierge considers for a moment before responding in a final tone. I'd prefer not to say right now. So was that everything that happened while you were in the basement, property damage notwithstanding? And dare I ask, where are the bags now? There in the laundry room, behind the giant's hamper, which was harder than a harpy's knuckle to move, groans Rodica. And I ripped my favorite shirt. She rubs her left arm regretfully, fingers picking at the torn edges of the silky black-red cotton sleeve. I suggest you go speak with your father. I'm sure he can mend it, the concierge placates with a kind smile. But what about the rest of the plastic scale bag things? I suppose I can't stop you from searching for them if you're so keen to do it. But, he pauses with a menacing furrow of his brows behind his glasses, don't go looking for trouble while you're at it. Of course not, yes sir, Rodica salutes automatically. After being granted this official, if unenthusiastic, approval for her mission, she twirls on her booted heel. She keeps on turning, and her form shrinks as it is obscured by a sudden silvery smoke. A blink later, and a bat beats her leathery wings against the air in her place, her black eyes bright with purpose until she glances at the somnolent human, her dark brow wrinkled in a dream. Changing direction in midair, Rodica swoops upward and perches in the corner where the wall meets the ceiling, peering down from the scrolling cornice at the couch and its occupant far below the vaulted ceiling. Moving with care, the concierge grasps Sylvina's green glasses with his white-gloved fingertips and removes them from her face, placing them neatly folded on the end table by her head. Then the concierge sends a firm stare up at the bat through his own gold glasses and speaks in a way that leaves no room for argument. I promise you, she will be perfectly fine here. There's no need for you to stay there in the corner all night. As you know, anyone in this hotel is under the dragon's care, he reminds her, humbly adding, as well as my own somewhat more limited services. Now be off with you. Sunrise will be here in no time, and I suspect there are more bags left for you to collect. Shifting her claws to adjust her purchase on the wood and plaster, the bat hesitates, then begrudgingly unfurls her wings. She drops into the air like a pocket-sized rock, her wings catching an updraft and soaring out of the lobby. That seems to be settled. Let us continue our tour. Our next stop is the rooftop gardens. Renowned across the continents for their diversity and rarity, you will see Gwenebeth's bleeding lilies in full bleed tonight 
as well as a stunning display by our clue of glowworms at the height of mating season. To close our tour, you may place your tour badges in the basket by the till. You may keep your maps as a memento or place them in the basket as well. Footnote 5. What with the constant changes the hotel makes, producing a new lantern in a darkened corner, or closing off certain wings for cleaning and maintenance, any hotel map's geographic relevance is limited, but they are treasured archives of the different eras of the hotel throughout the ages. And thank you for your patience and generosity on this, shall we say, eventful tour. A small, intricately carved lacquer basket waits on the marble counter by the gleaming antique cash register for the clunky plastic tour badges and maps. The Out for a Midnight Snack sign has been shelved, and the redoubtable concierge has resumed his post behind the counter. On the other side of the room, a wobbly young woman sits up on a couch and yawns tremendously, stretching her arms like two brown reeds above her head. In the next moment, a shout rings like a clear bell in the expansive hall of the lobby. Look what I found, Rodica cries, proudly brandishing a red and white plastic bag and approaching Sylvina's couch. Rubbing the sleep from her eyes and replacing her glasses on her nose, Sylvina cuts in with a sleep-muffled voice. Can it wait? I have something really important to tell you. Thundering on, Rodica thrusts the bag in Sylvina's face and insists. You won't believe what I went through to get this bag. I snagged it out from under a drunk hippo passed out on a lobby couch with my back claws. With her last words, she waggles her fingers like claws. Sylvina stares, her eyebrows knitting in confusion, and her fingers weakly twiddling in a token gesture in the direction of the bag. I... Think that's just a local drugstore bag? See the red logo? Ronica's expression instantly morphs from sunny to sinister, and she mutters darkly, Mother of Dracula, and... Cover the children's ears now, please. This is a child-friendly establishment. Once it is clear Ronica's frustration is out of her system, Sylvina plunges into the topic she was waiting to broach. Anyways, I think I might know what the plastic bags are for. You do? Rodica perks back up, lips quirking in the beginning of a smile. Yes, I mean, I think. What I saw in my dream is probably accurate. They are most of the time, at least, in some way or another. Sylvina trails off, her voice losing volume as her mind catches up to her heart, and the wrinkle between her eyebrows returns. Wasn't entirely clear when or how it's going to happen, but based on what I saw, I think the plastic bags, really scales, are just a symptom or side effect. There's a new room opening up on the hoard floor. I think the dragon might be in the process of laying an egg. She looks up at Rodica with this proclamation, her face shining with hope. Is that so? How about that? Rodica crows slapping the flat of her hand against the back of the couch with a resounding thwack and smiling like the sun breaking through storm clouds. Oh my, that is good news!